All right, well, welcome to the second week here in our series called Bold, and we are talking about what it means to be all things to all men. But before I get into today's topic, I want to tell you guys a story, and it's a true story, and it's a story that changed my life. But I'll start, it has nothing to do with goulash, though, unfortunately. It's a story that changed my life, but let me tell you right up front that it's not a very exciting story. It's a very significant story. But when I tell you what the story is, you're going to probably be underwhelmed by the magnitude of the story. The story goes back to the year was 1997. And at that moment in time, it was the summer of 97. And I had just finished my third year at school. All right, now I was preparing to go to my fourth year. Um, and during that summer, that was where I started to make my return to church. All right, I've shared this with you guys before that I grew up always in the church, but it was just kind of like something that, you know, like we went to church and like I went, but I was never really like into it. I just kind of went because my parents told me to go to church and like that's what we did on Sundays, you know what I mean? Like we went to church, but I wasn't really into it and I definitely didn't like hanging out with church people. My theory always was church people couldn't get friends outside, so that's why they had friends with each other, okay? That's it, I repented of this, okay? This was back in those days. So the summer of 97 is where things started to change for me and where I started to realize that, hey, you know what? Maybe I started to go to church like because I wanted to. But still at that point in time, I didn't really like register. I didn't fully get it all, but it was started to be like a social thing. Like I realized that church people aren't so bad. You know what I mean? They're normal like the rest of us. And, or, and, and you know, like I started hanging out with some of them at a social level. I went to church on Sunday some kind of events here and there, but still, I'm still kind of on this side, just starting to go back this side. One of the things that the church used to do back then is the church would have like trips and retreats and conventions and things like that. And I thought these were for nuts. Either these were for the crazy people who really had nothing better to do with their life. In my mind, okay, I only went on one retreat before this moment in time. This was in like my first year of college, and I have to confess, I went on this, like, uh, I can't remember what it was called, some Christian organization. The only reason I went is because a very nice-looking lady invited me to go. You know, in that moment in time, you're trying to make friends, and I was like, hey, she seems nice. Okay, so we went on the thing. But I was, uh, the whole time when I was there, I was like, this is crazy. Like, I, I was like, are they going to pull out the guitar and say kumbaya by the fire or something like that? So anytime I heard about retreats, those were not for me. One Saturday in this summer of 1997, we're hanging out and we're the group and we're just socializing. We're just hanging out and we're, you know, talking and whatever and, you know, talking about whatever. And somebody came over on the other side of the room and started a conversation with me. Conversation started very simply. Hey, how you doing? Like, whatever, small talk. And then they asked me a question. How would you feel about coming with us on a church trip that was going to Michigan? Simple question. Instantly, because I'm a cynical person by my nature. I was very cynical. And my nature was, what are you trying to sell me? My mom told you to do this, didn't she? What are you going to do to me when I get over there? And all of my nature was, no, 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 no. But somehow, and I honestly, to this day, I can't explain it. I said yes. My whole nature was, no way. But something about it, 
This was a boy asking me. It wasn't a girl, okay? So it wasn't, it wasn't another one of those situations. This was legit, okay? For some reason, I said yes. I don't even know why I said yes. And as soon as I said yes, I'm kicking myself the whole way. I'm like, what am I doing there? Long story short, this trip changed my life. Not because, listen carefully, not because anything happened at that retreat. Nothing happened. Nothing at all happened. But something happened after the retreat. Basically, at that retreat, which I couldn't even tell you anything about it, but I remember one thing. There was a bishop there who was a missionary from Africa. And for the first time in my life, I had like some like interaction with the bishop that seemed normal. So he's sitting there talking about Africa, and he had a group of people there with him, and they spoke about what they did in Africa. And this is the part where really, honest, in front of God, I can't explain this, and I'm going to go to my grave, I, don't, no, I can't explain this. Something at the end of that trip made me say, next summer, I'm going to go spend four or five weeks in Africa. I don't even know what it was. Like, I look back on it, there was a group of people that were from Los Angeles who were going to go, and a couple people from New York who were going to go and like spend, you know, like a mission trip right there. I didn't know any of them. I didn't know any of them. What would possess me, who's the most antisocial person in the world, to want to go spend four weeks and spend a lot of money to do that? Like, it didn't make any sense in a million years. But I did. I went, I paid the money, I went, and I could say that trip to Africa changed my life. It was when I was in Africa that it clicked, that I got it, that I understood why we do all the stuff we do, that all of a sudden God wasn't just like God, like God, God. He was like my God. And Jesus became very real to me. And all of a sudden, I developed a personal relationship with God. I always say, I learned how to pray on that trip. I learned to fall in love with the Bible on that trip. That trip changed my perspective on everything. And my life has never been the same ever since. And here's where you come in. If I have had any impact on your life, your life has never been the same ever since. And it all goes back to a conversation that I had with someone on a random Saturday night. Who was this great man who changed my life? And it, like I said, if my life has impacted your life, who was this man who impacted so many people's lives? He wasn't a scholar. He wasn't a professional missionary. He wasn't a nothing. He wasn't, I should say he was, a nothing. And to this day, you know the best part about it? That person has no idea about the impact that conversation had on my life. Because I don't even keep in touch with this person. This person's someone maybe I see once every five years, six years, something like that, just randomly. And it's just someone who's just totally random, out of the blue. But somehow, that two-minute conversation changed everything for me. He didn't teach me, like, Bible history. He didn't tell me the importance of fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. He didn't have me fill out some uh, card or sign me up on an email list. He didn't do none of that stuff. All he did was walk across the room, have a conversation with me, and I can say, that my life hadn't been the same ever since. Now here's where I want to ask you. Let's put ourselves in that guy's shoes. What was going through his mind as he walked across the room and invited me? What do you think was going through his mind? <clears throat> think it was easy? I know myself, and I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. Like I've been told by some people, some people, say that my personality is on the strong side, and I can be somewhat 
like intimidating. That's what some people tell me. I don't see it, okay? That's what some people tell me. Now, back then was worse because back then I was a professional at making excuses and blowing you off. Like that was my, I, I was professional at that for years when it came to church. Invite me to something, I had 10 reasons why I'm not going to go. And I could shift the topic in a, and I could blow you off in a myriad of ways. And this guy knew that. And this guy still walked across that room and started this ever so difficult conversation, which he was sure could be uncomfortable, could be awkward. I might get rejected. I might get made fun of. Many reasons he had to not have that conversation with me. But who knows what would happen if he didn't. You want to know what this series, Bold, is all about? It's about doing exactly that. It's not about doing great things, because the more and more I think about it and I, and I realize evangelism is not big, great things the way we think it is. Evangelism oftentimes is simply walking across the room and having a conversation with the person. And sometimes it's something as simple as giving somebody a hug or a word of encouragement. And sometimes it's simple as the video you saw there of just saying, hey, my church have an event on Sunday. Want to come? Evangelism, what this series is all about, is great things happen when we take small, ordinary steps. But remember, like I said last week, outside of our comfort zone. That's the key. In the comfort zone, nothing. But small steps outside of our comfort zone, you never know what will happen when you take those small steps the results they could have. <clears throat> when I say evangelism, you could pop up with some kind of picture in your head, and everyone's got a different picture. Evangelism looks like different things to different people. Some people consider evangelism is we go out to the street corner, we sing our songs, we pass out our tracks, we, we, we pray for people, that's evangelism. Other people say, no, no, no. Evangelism is serving the poor and letting your actions speak. Other people think of evangelism as, as inviting people at work or whatever it may be or in the coffee shop or in the whatever it is. Evangelism is different things to different people. But what I discovered is that evangelism is also different things to God as well. Because if you look at people, look through the history of the church as well as in the Bible, you will see that there was as many different forms of evangelism as there was different personalities in the Bible. I listed five of them, try to group them kind of together. And these are five different ways that people evangelize, and we can see some examples from the Bible. So the first one I wrote is the intellectual. Who do you think from the Bible was the intellectual evangelist? I'm going to say it was St. Paul. Because what St. Paul was, first of all, St. Paul was sharp. And he was very well read and very well learned. And he, was, he knew everything about everything. And he was very eloquent. And if you read like his letters, you would see that he was like a lawyer, okay, making like an argument. And he would go, like he was very analytical, point by point by point, starting them off here and getting them through there. And that's what he would do. He would go to the synagogues and he would reason with the people and explain to them why they should believe in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. His counterpart was St. Peter. And St. Peter's approach was the exact opposite. St. Peter wasn't intellectual. St. Peter was confrontational is what I call it. And what I mean by that is St. Peter would see somebody doing something wrong and say, you, you need to repent. Because you need to know that it was your forefathers who crucified Christ and y'all need to repent. And if you see the speeches of St. Peter, a lot of times, like, forgive me, forgive me. They were kind of incoherent. They didn't really make sense. They were just like, David did this, and then Abraham did this, and therefore you should believe in Jesus. Like, it, it. But that's the way he was. 
he, saw, he was very passionate. And he saw somebody who didn't believe, so he just ran at him and said, you need to believe and you need to believe. Invitational style. Who you say from the Bible was invitational? Samaritan woman, very good. Invitational is come and see. That's all Samaritan woman was. She discovered something, and that's what I talked about last week, and she just went and said, hey, y'all don't know what I know. Y'all haven't seen what I saw. Y'all don't know this man. You need to come meet this man. Come and see. Serving, this isn't the Bible, but I'd say Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was an evangelist, and don't think that she wasn't, because she, many people, connected with God through her work. And basically what her way was, was compassion and serving people and loving on people and just by her actions and less by her words. And then when she did say a word, it was like two sentences, and that word was the greatest word ever. Last one, I would say, is the testimonial. And I would say this is the born blind man who says, look, I don't know nothing, I don't care about nothing, but I know one thing. Though I was blind, now I see. You know who I love as far as this? If, if, you've, if you want to read some nice books, okay, like apologetic books, like modern day ones, Lee Strobel. Y'all heard of Lee Strobel? Wrote The Case for Christ, then he wrote a series after that. Lee Strobel is this guy, because Lee Strobel is somebody who didn't believe and he went out to research Christianity to disprove Christianity. But his research led him to believing, to seeing that Christianity is, is the real deal. So then he went and wrote many books that says, this is who I was, this is what I discovered, this is now who I am. That's the testimonial approach. Look, all these styles are great. Which one's the right one? There's no right one. If somebody gets to know Jesus through one of these, more power to him. So we're not here, like, I'm not here to, to say, no, this is the right and this is the wrong. And anybody who does that, like, come on, as long as some people are getting to know God through any one of these approaches, more power to them. We need more people like that. But the key is there needs to be something that unites all of these different approaches or any approach to evangelism. And that's what I would say is it must be personal. And you see this in the life of Christ himself. Because Christ did all those different approaches. Sometimes he just loved people and didn't say anything. Sometimes he confronted people. But whatever Christ did, it was always personal. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> Evangelism is not supposed to be, I stand here, I know nothing about you, I preach the truth, and you all repent. That's not evangelism. That's like exhortation or teaching or, or preaching or whatever Evangelism is a very personal thing. When I say personal, the image in my mind is, it's like you see right here. It's an intersection between God and a person. And the person in the intersection is you. You become the intersection by which this person, who God wants to touch this person. But God likes to do things, like God could easily zap the person if he wanted to touch him. That's not how God works. God likes to be incarnate. God likes flesh. That's why when, when God wanted to come into the world, he didn't zap the world. He came as a little baby. He likes to come in intangible things. So the tangible way in which God is incarnate today is you and is me. I'm the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. So here's a person, and they're standing in the street, or they're standing over there. And then they need to intersect with God. And that's where I come in, is that God comes through me, and we have an intersection together. And if my skills are intellectual, maybe I go at them intellectual. If my skills or confrontational, like whatever, it, it doesn't really matter the approach as much as it matters that it's personal. 
sometimes that intersection will lead to rejection. Sometimes it'll lead to, oftentimes it will lead to awkwardness, fear, inconvenience. Oftentimes we'll have those things. But you know what? Think about the incarnation of Christ. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He saw humanity here, and they were standing over there. And they needed an intersection with God. So what did Jesus do? Came down. Was it convenient? Inconvenient. Was it risking failure? Absolutely. Risking rejection? Not risking. For sure we'll be rejected. But he did all that, and he came down, and he became the intersection between humanity and divinity. And that's what we are called to continue in that same work. Our theme verse for this series is coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. All right? The key verse is the last one, but this will be like the introduction to it. Or verse 19 to 22. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Every person is unique. Every evangelist is unique. Every recipient of evangelism is unique. So there's no one size fits all. And like I said, anyone who says, no, that's the wrong way, and that's the wrong way, and that's the right way. That might be the right way for that situation, and that might be the right way for that situation. This might be a completely different way for this situation. And every situation, every person is unique. And St. Paul says, if I found a Jew, I spoke Jewish to them. And if I found a Greek, I spoke Greek to them. And if I found someone weak, I came down and I, and I shared in their weakness. And I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. That has to be our mentality. That whatever it takes... I'm not going to stand up here on my podium and say, you want to know God, you come and you bow down to my feet and you do it my way. That's not the way Jesus did it. That's not the way St. Paul did it. And that's not the way we are to do it either. We're to become all things to all men that we might by all means save some of them. So with that said, here's our topic for today. And here is the one thing you need to have to be a successful evangelist. One thing. You don't need training. You don't need books. You don't need nothing except one thing. And that one thing is you need to be able to stay in tune with the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, get this idea out of your mind that I'm not ready or I can't or I'm not qualified. Get that idea out of your mind. Because you may not be qualified to be a Jew to the Jews or a Greek to the Greeks, but can you be weak to the weak? Can you be... Um, uh, whatever to the whatevers. Sorry, bad example. But you know what I'm trying to say. You might not be able to be that or that or that or that or that or that, but there's something that you can be. And all it takes is being in tune with the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This verse from Acts chapter 1. Oftentimes we look at this verse as a verse about evangelism and mission and the importance of all the things that we need to do. This verse has two parts. I don't know why we read the second without reading the first. It says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. We look at that and say, We need to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, which is true. But you cannot disconnect evangelism from being receiving the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. You can't disconnect the two. 
Because if you disconnect and you say, I'm supposed to do this without being connected to this, it's going to fail. Because the only one who can customize your message or your word is the Holy Spirit. Notice, Jesus said to them, you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then you shall be witnesses. He didn't say you'll receive power, and then you'll be really smart. You'll receive power, and you'll be, have a great career. You'll receive power, and all the bad guys will leave you alone. He didn't say that. The power is in direct correlation to the witnessing. So if you choose to ignore this, then I bet you you're going to lack this. Because this is given for this. And many of us want this, but we don't want to go near this. This is connected to this. And the power was not given for selfish reasons. Power was not given so that we can be blessed for our whole lives and live in our own little cocoon. The power was given so that we can go and be witnesses to all the ends of the earth. The same power. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Okay, it's the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. When Jesus was on this earth, he had 12 disciples. Before the apostles were apostles, they were disciples. And the, Jesus was here, and the disciples followed him around. And he said, go do that. So they went and did that. He said, now go do that. And they went and did that. He was their master. They were the followers. And then he left. But he said, I'm not leaving. I'm sending you my spirit. So now my spirit is your master. Now you're his disciples. And now my spirit is inside you, and you need to be his disciples. And sometimes he's going to tell you, go there. Sometimes he's going to tell you, go there. And you need to have that same mentality in your minds. That today we live in the same way that the disciples live, with a master. And we follow that master everywhere we go. And he gives us advice, not advice, commands. And he gives us, tells us exactly what it is that we need. But that master is the Holy Spirit. Don't look at the Holy Spirit as someone, it's just there like random occasions. Or just kind of like, we don't know what he does. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ who now lives within us. And we follow him. We are his disciples the same way that those guys were the disciples of Christ. You don't believe me? Well, check out some of these verses and see how the Holy Spirit was truly the master and truly guided every step of the early church and the apostles. Random selection of verses, Acts, all from Acts. Acts 13, 2. And, it, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. You could remove Holy Spirit, and if this was in the Gospels, you could say Jesus said. Okay, it's the same way. The Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, was there, and he told them to do this. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. How did they get sent out? The Holy Spirit told them. What does that mean? I don't know what that means, but that's real. That the Holy Spirit said, okay, now you guys, you two go over there. 18.5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Something inside him, St. Paul said, the Holy Spirit is telling me I must do this. Chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. At the very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. You see how the Spirit wasn't just to be used in case of emergencies or church on Sundays? See how the Spirit was a real part of their lives? And then watch, sometimes the Spirit works in the negative. 16.6, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. You ever been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do something? You ever been compelled by the Spirit to do something? You ever been told by the Holy Spirit to do something? If not, something's not right. Something's not right. Because that's where we should be living at. 
and my certain, my humble opinion, that oftentimes, like I said, because we refuse the witnesses, then we don't find ourselves with the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Let's get practical now. Is it easy to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Like I just rattled off six, seven verses. Talk about how the Holy Spirit speaks. Is that easy? Is it easy to say like, okay, just turn on the station and hear the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit 101. Is there like a, a station? Like maybe if I get the extended package, okay, with the files or the cable, like the big package, I can find the Holy Spirit station. Maybe if I go to church every single Sunday and I live in church, how am I going to hear the Holy Spirit? Is it easy to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Is it easy? Yes or no? No. Is it possible? Yes or no? Yes. Look, this is very important. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not possible. Yes, it's hard. I admit it's hard. A lot of things are hard. Some of you go to medical school. That's hard. Some of you have jobs that require you to put a lot of work in. That's hard. Since when did hard mean that we don't do it? That's hard. Okay, that's hard. Then try harder. Pray harder. Listen harder. Absolutely, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Don't think that I'm just, I'm just making it easy and say just hear the Holy Spirit and that's it. I'm saying it's hard stuff. But we need to strive harder. And we need to pray harder. And we need to listen harder. Because it's worth it. Because he's our master right now. And he's the spirit of Christ today. I can't make the Holy Spirit into a formula. I can't say pray this prayer, read this passage, and you'll know everything the Holy Spirit wants you to do. I wish I could, but I can't. But I can tell you this. Walking in the Spirit, or I should say hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't make it something mystical and something like, don't, don't make it something that don't. When you walk in the Spirit, and when the Spirit is speaking, I can't tell you how, but you know when you're in it, and you know when you're not in it. Don't you? You know, like when said that verse that St. Paul was compelled by the Spirit. You know sometimes you are compelled by the Spirit. And you know sometimes that you are far away from the Spirit of God. I can't make it a formula. But I can say, when I am in tune with the Spirit, then, then you can see life not just at the surface level. And sometimes something can happen, and you can say, I wonder why God did that. And you can see that God may be behind it. And then you can see that door open. You'd be like, maybe God wants me to walk through that door. You know what I'm talking about? Is that you can't make it into a, a box, but you know when you have it and you know when you don't have it. The one who is walking in tune with the Holy Spirit is, has a awareness about him all day long. That life is not just the scene, but there's an unseen element of life. And God is working behind the scenes. And God is arranging stuff. And specifically when it comes to evangelism, that God is creating divine appointments. That God said to that boy, you see that funny boy over there standing? That maybe I want you to go talk to that boy. And maybe I want you to invite him to this. The one who's in tune with the Spirit is always looking and listening for the voice of God. Best example. I'm going to give you a great example right now. A story from Acts chapter 8 about a guy named Philip. Y'all know the story of Philip in Acts chapter 8? It's a great story. I'm not going to go through all the details because it's a long story. 
But it's a great story about how the Holy Spirit leads the person who is ready and willing to step out of his or her comfort zone. First, who is Philip? Philip was the first missionary to the Gentiles. He was the first one to evangelize and preach to someone who wasn't a Jew and, and teach them that they can become Christian. Back at that time, people thought like Jesus was Jewish, his disciples were Jewish, and then those who believed in him were all Jewish. The Gentiles were all bad. Philip was the first one who was sent to go to the Gentiles or to go to one Gentile and say, hey, you guys are welcome in this club too. Philip was one of the deacons who was chosen in Acts chapter 6. And what was the job of the deacons? To serve the tables, okay, and to clean up after the widows. What I want you to see is that Philip was not a preacher. Philip was not a scholar. Philip was a table washer guy. He was chosen by God just to do the cleanup. He wasn't someone with an inherent set of skills that made him like the optimum person for this job, but he had the willingness to do it. First, a little, little background on Philip. Acts chapter 8 is the beginning. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Sorry, just a little context. So Acts 7 is when St. Stephen was martyred, okay, and it tells the story about how like this persecution now arose against Christianity, and the leader of it was Saul from Tarsus, who eventually became St. Paul, and he like was breathing out threats against all the Christians. So what happened? They all scattered. They all went to different places, Philip being one of them. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. He wasn't phased by the threats. He left, but he was preaching the whole way. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Watch now the result of Philip's preaching. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Philip was a table washer, right? What was the result of his ministry in Samaria? Good or bad? How good on the scale? Like, compare it to your ministry. Anybody cast out any unclean spirits? Anybody, uh, the people walked around and saw the miracles, which they did. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And an entire city was half full of great joy due to the ministry of this guy who was nothing, who was just somebody who was just washing tables. And this city was upside down because of the work which this guy did because he went out and preached the gospel. It seems to me <clears throat> Philip is in a good place right now. So if I am in charge... But I'd say, you know what, let's keep Philip there for a few more months, all right? Let him continue to scour the area and just build all of Christianity in that area. And like, because he's like, he's, he's rolling. Philip is on a roll. Leave him alone. He's perfect. You see how the Holy Spirit works? <clears throat> a few verses later. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Time out. Philip, up here, miracles, great. Holy Spirit says, we're going to change your evangelism. We're going to change the location. Okay, where am I going to go? Someone like me, New York City, Los Angeles, a big metropolitan area, I'm sure, because faithful and least, rewarded with much. So I preached to Samaria. That was great. So I moved me to the big stage now. You know what I mean? Like with the big lights, with the cameras and stuff like that. He gets sent down. The angel of the Lord, which we'll see in a little bit, is the Holy Spirit. 
said, I want you to go down that road. How does the Bible describe that area that he went to? It's a funny sentence, okay? This is desert. Like, it has no benefit whatsoever to the story, just other than to say, it stinks where he went. I take you out of here where you're doing miracles, and I send you an area that this is desert, this is stinks. Does that make sense? Is that convenient? Is that something which you think would made him excited? No. But look at his response, verse 27. So he arose and went. Why? Because the master told me to go. When Jesus was here, Jesus said, we did. Jesus is not here, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives through the Holy Spirit, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're one, just different forms. Holy Spirit said, go. He arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I love how he arose and went. He did not, I'll tell, me what he, I'll tell you what he did not do. What he did not do. He didn't fast and pray. He didn't check with his spiritual guides. He didn't say, you know what? Um, I'm going to write it on a little piece of paper, yes, and one no, and then I'm going to pick the... He didn't do any of that stuff. Spirit said go, and he went. When he gets there, he finds this Ethiopian eunuch. All right? And this Ethiopian eunuch was someone who served under the queen of Ethiopia. I'll talk about who the eunuch is at the end, okay? But for right now, he goes and he sees someone who's a non-believer. Okay, a Gentile, someone who up to this moment in time is not worthy to enter this Christian faith. They're not worthy because the Jews, the Gentiles, were like animals to them. They were dogs. They were dirty. They were bad. So this guy had nothing to do. So here I left this ministry. I didn't go to New York. I went to the desert place. And who am I in front of? A person who I can't even speak to. I can't even touch this person because it would make me unworthy, unclean. Story goes on. Watch now how the Holy Spirit takes over because Philip was willing. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. See how the Spirit told him, boom. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Who's directing the story? Is Philip have a, a, an evangelistic plan that he learned in seminary of how to reach out to the Gentiles? Philip didn't do anything. Philip just showed up. And then God prepared some guy who happens to be reading the Bible. And he happens to be reading on the middle of this desert road where no one else exists. This, is this guy who happens to be a very influential person, works for the queen, and he's reading the Bible. And where is he reading? He's reading from Isaiah. And he happens to say, hey, I would love it if you sat next to me. Philip didn't do anything yet. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. This passage is from Isaiah 53. It's a very famous passage, which is a prophecy about the death of Christ, of the Messiah. How random is it that he shows up, desert road, nobody there, Ethiopian, reading the Bible, invite me to come sit next to me, and happens to be reading one of the most powerful passages in the Bible. Like, what would have happened if he was reading the so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so? The day wouldn't have been the same. But you see how the Spirit is working like what i'm trying to show you is that like the holy spirit isn't this mystical thing holy spirit is god 
And God is arranging things. And he is doing this, and he's doing it, and he's arranging stuff. And now the guy says, I ask you. So it says, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Like, he even asked the right question. He even asked the right question. Is this talking about him, or is he talking about somebody else? So you can't answer this question without preaching the gospel. You can't answer this question without telling him about who Jesus is, because it's a prophecy all about Jesus, who was led to the slaughter as a lamb, etc., etc., etc. What does Philip do? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, You believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Most important part of this verse. Most important thing. What's the most important thing Philip did? What's the key here that we don't want to do? Philip opened his mouth. Philip opened his mouth. Again, Philip did not say, that's a great question. I'm going to give you some books, okay? These websites, you can go research it and get back to me. Or no, I know this priest. You should go talk to him. He's a very smart guy. He didn't say any of that stuff. He didn't say, well, who am I to preach? You know what he did? He opened his mouth. And what came out of his mouth? Whatever was in his head. And he didn't, may not have known everything, but he knew a little bit. And whatever he knew, he said it. And that's all evangelism is. That's all being a witness is. Somebody asks you a question, don't say I'm not worthy. First of all, don't say, he didn't say he's not worthy. Don't ever say he's not worthy. Because if anybody's not worthy, it's this guy. But, but God said he's worthy, he's worthy. Because remember, the Jews and the Gentiles, they're not worthy. He didn't say he's not worthy. He didn't say, I'm not worthy or I'm not ready. He said, God put this guy in front of me. And God had this guy ask me a question. And God put some stuff in my head. There's not much in there, but there's some stuff in there. So I'm going to open my mouth, and whatever's in there is going to come out. Whatever happens after that is in God's hands. What I'm trying to say, and forgive me for, for saying it like this, but preaching Christ isn't rocket science. Like we make it out to something is like you need advanced degrees. It isn't rocket science, people. It isn't brain surgery. I'm telling you, the stuff that you know at your works is much more complicated than Christianity. Whatever's in your head, you open your mouth. Like the guy from my story at the beginning. He didn't come over and preach nothing to me. But he was going to some place, and something told him, go invite him to that place. That's it. That's all Philip did. He walked across the room, he opened his mouth. And that's all evangelism is. The result? So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, watch this. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But watch what happens to Philip. Where's Philip end up? Philip was found at Azotus, a city far, far away. How he ended up there? Beam me up, Scotty. We have no idea, okay? He ended up at this place. And what did he do while he was there? What do you think Philip's going to do? And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. He did his job. He opened his mouth. Holy Spirit whisked him away, put him over here. So what did he do when he was over here? Same thing he did over there. Same thing he was doing over there. The same thing where if you put him over there, he's going to do over there. Same thing if you put him over there, he's going to do over there. <clears throat> That's the person who is ready to preach in season and out of season, all the ends of the earth, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And that is a good example for us of what is being led by the Spirit supposed to look like. Here's the question I want to ask you now. Let's go to this Ethiopian eunuch. The history teaches us that this eunuch 
okay, who worked under the queen, was a very influential person. And the tradition says that this guy became a strong believer and was very influential in spreading Christianity across places in North Africa. Okay, and some people say that he's the one who introduced it into Ethiopia the very first time. Okay? Fast forward 20 years after this story. 20 years down the road. And then you go to this Ethiopian guy. You say, hey, tell me your story. What's your story? What do you think he'd say? What do you think he'd say about this? He'd say, you know, I was just hanging out on the road one day, and this guy showed up. And he came out of nowhere. I don't even know what his name was. What was that guy's name? Because he just bolted out of there. Like, he rudely left. He didn't even say goodbye. Like, he just left. And I didn't even see him after that. Like, I asked for his email. Like, <clears throat> I think his name was Philip or Phil or Philly Boy or something like that. I don't know who he was. I don't know where he came from. But he came at the perfect time. And he opened his mouth. And my life has never been the same ever since. Would anybody say that about you? When we get up there, is there anybody who's going to say that about you? I don't know who that person was, but man, they came at the right time. They didn't do much. They just gave me a cup of water. They just gave me a hug. They gave me like a look. They invited me to a something. They told me about. They gave me a sermon. Like, whatever. Is anyone who's going to say, that about you. If you're not willing to step out of your comfort zone, the answer is no. No one's going to say that about you. If you spend your whole life in your little cocoon, no. If all you do is hang out with your little Christian friends and all you do is your little Christian events and you just hang out in your little Christian circle and you don't go outside that, the answer is no. So what do I need to do? Practical. I need to do three things. Three things. They're not complicated, but they're not easy. Number one, I need to get ready to step into what I'm calling the zone of the unknown. And basically, what the zone of the unknown is, what this is, this is the positive of step out of your comfort zone. But we say step out of your comfort zone so much that maybe you've twisted that to mean something that doesn't really mean. Zone of the unknown means there's an area of which I don't want to go into because I don't know what's there. I need to be ready to go into it. Philip went into an area of unknown. The apostles, unknown. All of them were willing to go in an area where unknown, uncharted waters. You need to be able to say today, I like my little bubble. My bubble is so comfortable. But I'm willing, God, to go anywhere that you send me. Number two, once you're willing, you need to actively listen to the Spirit's Promptings. Keyword, actively. Meaning, you're seeking it out. I'm telling you, if we can get this concept, and we can get the idea that the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus was for those 12 guys, it's going to take so much pressure off of you. Because you don't need to figure it out. You don't need to have a plan. You just need to be ready and willing to obey. Sometimes he says walk, sometimes he says sit. Sometimes he says talk, sometimes he says shut your mouth. And whatever he says is what we do. Let me give you an example. Okay, and I'll tell you for myself about myself. So sometimes, like I said, I know most people don't believe me, but I'm not the most sociable person. I can do this, 
because it's my like, I have to do this. Okay, but me, I'm I'm a homebody. I like to kind of just hang out with myself. Nothing makes if you're like me. Okay, if you're like me, I'm gonna make your skin cringe right now. I'll make you cringe. You know the most like terrifying experience when you go to a social gathering full of people and you don't know anyone there. Oh. I'm sure there's some people out there, okay, because we're all different, that, like, they thrive on that, all right? And they, like, look forward to, like, meeting new people. For those people, there's therapy available for you, okay, if you need, okay? <laughs> for the rest of us, normal people, I'm just joking, okay, I'm just joking, okay? Normal people, people like me, the thought of that, like, uh, just pretend someone, please, someone call, okay, uh, call my voicemail, like, anything to escape that situation. And if we, in that situation, we find one person we know, man, we stick to them like glue, okay? Because we do not want to be out there exposed for our lack of social skills. How about you walk into that room? You walk into that room. And this, again, I speak from experience. And I just want to huddle myself over in the corner. But you feel God telling you, no, go talk to people. Go talk to people. What am I going to talk about? Just go talk to people. I'm telling you, I've been in that situation, and I've obeyed, and as if, like, exactly like the Philip situation. The person's like, hey, I'm glad you're here, because I want to ask you this question. Stuff like that. I've also been in a situation where I've disobeyed, and I don't know what I missed out on, and I don't know who missed out on what, but I tell you, that's not a good feeling when you know that you disobeyed. <clears throat> we uh, had this, I had a guy come out to our house who was, like, doing some work on our house. Like, he had done work on my house several years ago, and, like, you know, like, he, like, did our, he did some work in our, in our bathroom, okay, in our master bathroom, in our master bedroom. So when someone's in your bathroom and bedroom, you build a little bit of a bond, okay? Like, he's in an intimate area there, so, you know what I mean? Like, his name is Phil, okay? So I needed some work done in my house, so I called Phil up, and I said, I need some work done. So Phil came and, you know, estimated this and that. I'm like, ah, come on, I, I save a little a priest and, you know, like, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> So I asked Phil, just a, a question, you know what I mean, like, how you been? How the past six months been treating you? He said, oh, man, my wife just died of cancer a couple months ago. And I was like, oh. And I'm telling you, I froze. Don't know what to say. Don't know what to say. What do I say? What do I say? Got to say something. I want to tell him, can you lower the price of the thing? But I, it's not the appropriate situation anymore. And I was supposed to be a priest. And I'll tell you what I did, which was not good. I just like, oh, you know, like, uh, I'll be praying for you or something like that. And I knew God was telling me, talk to the guy. Well, actually, he was telling me, listen to the guy and talk to him. Like, invest in him. I was like, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's awkward. And like, like I, I don't, it's awkward for me. So I disobeyed God. And I was just like, you know, I'll be praying for you and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, let me know. And after that, like the next day he came, I was like avoiding him. I avoided him. Yeah, 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 just paint whatever you want. Yeah, whatever color, that's fine. I'm colorblind anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't really care. And I'm avoiding him. But I'm feeling this inside me like, this, what you're doing is wrong. Like, what are the chances that this, like this guy, this guy Phil, okay, he's a nice guy, but he's not a believer in anything. Like he, he's a good guy though. Like, I mean, he, people like that, I, 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 he's a very simple person. Which I think those simple people, they'd be high up there, okay? Even though it doesn't do the church stuff like we do. But I have respect for him. 
I'm avoiding him. And I know God is telling me to talk to him. And then finally I just bit the bullet. I said, you know what? God, I'm going to obey. So I went and I talked to him. And you know what? I survived. I survived. I was very nervous and very stressed out that he's going to like cry or something like that. He didn't cry. We had a normal conversation. And I asked him, you know, how you feeling? And he said stuff. And I didn't know what, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. But I obeyed God. Because I listened. And then even like I talked to him. I talked to him on the phone one time, actually. That's good. Like I called him to tell him something about the job, but actually that was my deceptive way to talk to him something else. Because somehow over the phone it was easier. I don't know why. Okay. But my point is, I obeyed God. And I don't know, I'm not saying that that guy's going to get baptized tomorrow. And I'm not saying, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that I did my job. Because my job was to listen to the Spirit, and my job was to, number three, take a step. That's the third thing you need to do. Take a step. Key word here is a. Uh. Not many steps, not a hundred steps, but a step. Holy Spirit wasn't telling me, baptize the boy. Didn't say that. He didn't say, give him a Bible study. Didn't say that. He said, just talk and listen. I took my step. We have this idea. Look, I told you all before about the chain, about how everyone needs to, to meet God a certain number of times before they get it. Okay, and, and sometimes you're number three on the chain, sometimes you're number 15, sometimes like so this person needs 175. So you may be somewhere on the chain. I'll take a, a different example. Think of a continuum, all right, from minus 10 to plus 10. Minus 10 being wherever, we'll use Phil as the example, where Phil is today down in the dumps. No hope, he's at minus 10. God wants to take him to plus 10. But God does not want me to take him from minus 10 to plus 10. Maybe my job is just to move the needle from minus 7 to minus 6. And then maybe you might see him next week, and God wants you to move him from minus 6 to minus 5. And then maybe you're on the plus side, and you get a chance to really encourage him and push him from 8 to 9 to 10. I don't know. All I know is I'm a sower, and I'm just throwing seeds. That's all I'm doing. I'm not bringing fruit. I'm just sowing seeds. And if God puts this person in front of me and says, throw in a listening seed, listen. And God says, shut your mouth. Give him a silence. He don't say nothing. And then God says, okay, now say something. And God says, now invite him to church. God says, now give him a sermon. And God says, now give him a book. Whatever it is that God says, all we're doing is just sowing seeds. Take a step. Don't take many steps. I don't need Phil to be an ordained monk next week. Okay? I don't need him to be bishop and pope material. I just need that needle to have moved from this to this to this. That's it. That's why I love this last verse here from Colossians chapter three, chapter 4, verse 3, which is what I'm titling an, an evangelist prayer. This is how an evangelist thinks and prays. He says, praying that God would open, he's asking the, the, the Colossians to pray for him, that God would open a, to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. See this? encompasses everything. That open a door, speak a mystery, but only as God wants me to speak. And sometimes God would tell St. Paul, speak. Sometimes he'd tell him to keep his mouth shut. And sometimes God will tell you, speak. Like the results don't have anything to do with the command. 
Sometimes he'll tell you to speak, and the result will be disaster. Disaster. And sometimes he'll tell you to not speak, and that'll be the best thing. Like, it doesn't matter the result. All that matters is the obedience. There's a time in the book of Acts near the end where St. Paul is in, 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 in Rome, and he's preaching to this guy named Felix. And the Bible says that St. Paul preached to him for two years. Two years. He had the greatest preacher ever for two years in his ear and says that Felix loved him. And Felix would call him in to tell me more. And he always wanted to hear more. And it says after two years, nothing happened to Felix. Was that a failure by St. Paul? You tell me, you think in two years that St. Paul didn't move that needle? You don't think that needle moved at all? I'm saying that St. Paul's job may have been to break up some rough soil, may have been to scatter some seeds, may have been to pull some weeds, may have been to lay some fertilizer. It doesn't matter where you is on this continuum, where you are on this continuum or where he is on this continuum. All that matters is, is that you do your job and speak as you ought to speak. <clears throat> if I were to go to St. Paul in that time or I'd go to anyone who has tried to preach and felt like a failure, say it didn't work, Is there anything that you do out of obedience to God and done out of your love for God and love for his children that we can say is a failure? Like, if I offer it to God and I go to Phil and I, just out of my love for God, my obedience to God, I go and I listen and it's an absolute disaster. Can I say that's a failure? Is there anything that's done for the heart of God that we can say, done out of love, that's a failure? Probably not. The next session when we get together, we're going to talk about specifics. What I mean by specifics is specific ways that we can have conversations with people about spiritual matters, all right? And we can open up stuff, all right? We'll talk about some different things. We'll talk about what I'm going to call 3D living. 3D living is developing friendships, discovering stories, Discerning next steps. We're going to talk about that next session. How we can develop friendships, discover people's stories, and discern next steps for people. But before we get there, we have to be ready with this. And that's a willingness, like I said, to step into the zone of the unknown. Even though I don't know what's going to happen, it could be uncomfortable, it could be awkward, I'm ready to step in. Number two, once I'm ready to step in, I don't belly flop in. I'm listening for the Spirit to guide me. When to speak, when to shut my mouth. And then number three, I'm ready to take a step. And I just take a step. Sometimes a step is as simple as asking a question, or the step can be as simple as inviting someone to go to a trip to Michigan. You never know the results of any of these steps. Okay? Let's stand up together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you because you risked everything to come down and, and reach out to us. And you, Lord, didn't count the cost and didn't, didn't say it was hard or didn't say any of the excuses that we make all the time. But you, Lord, put yourself out there and you came down so that we could know you and we could live with you for eternity. I pray, Lord, that you would put that same spirit inside of us. Let us to be in tune with your spirit which is living within us that we can hear your voice telling us what to do, where to go, how to speak, how to not speak, whatever it is, Lord. We, we confess that, that we don't want to do it, 
and it's difficult for us to do, but we know, Lord, that, that you will stand with us and you will fill us with the power that you promised to make us your witnesses. I pray, Lord, that you would give us all that evangelistic mindset. Not that we're like, like trying to trick people or, or sell people anything. We're just trying to show every single person how great you are, how sweet you are, to show them the hope that we have inside you and, and to show them the, the love that you offer to each and every single person unconditionally. Give us to be, like, like the song said, like a billboard to show every single person how great you are, not, not ourselves, but showing every person how great you are, Lord. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just a reminder that next week, Memorial Day weekend, we have a church trip. Okay, so I will be back to pray the liturgy in the morning, but we will not be having...